So good morning and grace to all of you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, today is Pentecost Sunday. And being Pentecost Sunday, I thought we might take a quick look this morning at what Pentecost is all about. In our church calendar, there are basically two main seasons of the church. There's a season of Advent, which which leads up to the, the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And there's a season of Lent, which leads up to the suffering and death and then the resurrection of Jesus. We remember and celebrate different aspects of our faith during these different seasons. And many would say that these two main holidays in the church, Christmas and Easter, are what the Christian faith is based on. In fact, many churches only celebrate these two special days during the year. They celebrate Christmas because without Jesus coming to earth and being born as a human, he couldn't have then died for our sins and been the perfect sacrifice that was needed for our redemption. And then they celebrate Easter because if Christ hadn't risen from the grave, then everything that he went through on our behalf would have been for nothing. The resurrection is crucial to our salvation and to our faith. So we celebrate these two seasons of the church, and rightfully so. But sometimes I think we forget the importance of what happened on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. While Christmas fulfills the promise of God sending us the promised Messiah, and Good Friday fulfills the, the suffering servant prophecies that told us that the Messiah would be despised and rejected of men and would be a man familiar with sufferings, And while Easter reminds us that Christ conquered death and rose from the grave, that he conquered death on our behalf and gives our faith validation, if you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said that if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. While all of that is extremely important, in fact, it is crucial to our faith, I would put it to you today that without Pentecost, the church as we know it today would not exist. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit of God came upon the followers of Jesus and empowered them to go and do what he had told them to do, and that was to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded. Without Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' disciples would not have been empowered to do anything for Christ. And I would say as well that without God's Holy Spirit living within us, we are not empowered to do anything for the Lord either. Pentecost is just as crucial to the life of the church as all the other special days that we celebrate. So why don't we turn together in God's Word to where we're told about this special day. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. And I invite you to stand with me as we turn to Acts chapter 2. This morning I'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 771. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Oh Lord, as we look at this remarkable coming of your Holy Spirit to the early Christian church, Lord, open up our hearts and minds just to see what that means to us today. Holy Spirit, guide and direct my words and our thoughts. In fact, Lord, as I always pray, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we begin this morning, I would like us to take a minute and set this passage up in its historical and biblical context. The author of Acts is a man named Luke. He was a doctor. He's the same man who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if we look at both Luke chapter 1, verse 3, and Acts 1, verse 1, which we read together this morning, we see that Luke is writing these two different manuscripts to a man named Theophilus. In Luke's Gospel account, he told Theophilus all about the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke's Gospel ends with Jesus ascending back into heaven and the disciples returning to Jerusalem with great joy. As he begins writing Acts, Luke tells Theophilus that after Jesus rose from the dead, He showed himself to many people, giving proof that he was indeed alive, and that he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And that Jesus then gave his disciples a command, and that command was they were to stay in Jerusalem until they received the gift that the Father had promised to give them. And Jesus told them, he said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Then Jesus ascended into heaven, and Luke gives Theophilus a little more information there about Jesus' ascension than he did in his Gospel account. So the disciples have returned to Jerusalem, and they're waiting. They're waiting as Jesus had told them to do. And as they're waiting, they decide they need to replace Judas, the one who had betrayed Jesus, with someone else, 
And their qualifications were that that someone had to have been with them the whole time, heard what Jesus had said, and had been a witness to the resurrected Christ. So a man named Matthias was chosen to take the place of Judas. And we're told in chapter 2, verse 1, that when the day of Pentecost came, all of them, including this new man Matthias, they were all together in one place. So the day of Pentecost had come. What exactly is this day of Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was a Jewish festival that was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. Originally, it was the celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and was known literally as the Feast of Weeks because of that seven-week period that had passed. But by the time of Christ, Pentecost was seen more as the anniversary of the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So for the Jewish people, it was a celebration of the law and the renewal of that Mosaic covenant. And I don't think it was any accident of history that this was the day that God chose to send the Holy Spirit upon the disciples and begin building his church. The contrast between the law and the Old Testament covenant and Christ, who was the fulfillment of the law and the New Testament covenant, that contrast comes into focus on the day of Pentecost. Because under the Old Covenant, the day signified the coming of the law. But under the New Covenant, it signified the coming of the Holy Spirit through the message of the Gospel. So here on Pentecost, we have the fulfillment of both law and Gospel together in one day. For the Jew, it was the remembrance of the giving of the law. And God chose this day of all days he could have chosen to give the gift of his Holy Spirit and usher in the new covenant under his grace. So here we have all the disciples together in one place on the day of Pentecost. And we're told that very suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Now, I've heard preachers speak on this passage before many times, and they always talk about this mighty wind that blew into the house. But the language here is very clear. They heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. The Scriptures don't make it clear whether or not there was an actual wind that blew. But for sure, there was a sound like a violent wind that filled the entire house where they were. And we know now that this was the sound of the coming of God's Holy Spirit into their midst. And whether or not there was an actual wind, I find it really interesting that in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the words for wind and spirit are the same. In Hebrew, the word is ruah, and it's used for both wind and spirit. In Greek, the word is pneuma. And again, it's used for both wind and spirit. This enabled John to use the word pneuma to speak of the blowing of the wind and the movement of God's spirit in John chapter 3. It also enabled Paul in his second letter to Timothy to speak of Scripture being God-breathed. Pneumatikon is the Greek word. But I think the most significant passage in connection with this thought of the wind in verse 2, 
is found in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 37. In that passage where Ezekiel was led out by the Spirit to a valley full of dry bones. Any of you remember that passage? The Lord told Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones and that he, the Lord, would make breath enter them and bring them to life. And in verse 10, Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel here prophesied that the wind, as the breath of God, would breathe new life into dead, dry bones. Ezekiel envisioned a day when the Spirit of God would come through the Messiah to breathe new life into that which was dead. And isn't that just what the Holy Spirit does for us? How did you or I become Christians? How did we become followers of Christ? The Holy Spirit breathed the life of God into our dead souls. The Word of God tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. Were any of us able to make ourselves alive again in our own power? No, we weren't. We needed the Holy Spirit to come and breathe life into spiritually dead, dry bones. Our passage says that the sound from heaven filled the whole house. It came from God and it engulfed the whole place, just like in the Old Testament when the presence of God would come upon the tabernacle. The people in the wilderness knew that God's presence was there because the earth shook and the tabernacle was filled with God's glory. And the disciples here knew this was from God as well because it came with power from heaven and it filled the whole place. Think about that for a minute. When God comes in power, He fills the place with His presence and no one should be left with any doubt that God is here. He doesn't share that house with anyone or anything else. He fills it with His presence. This is a simple lesson here for our lives and for the life of our church. God comes in power to fill us completely and to fill this place completely with His presence and His presence alone because He does not share His glory with anyone or anything else. The Holy Spirit came in power on Pentecost and He came to empower on Pentecost as well. We're told in verse 3 that as this sound filled the house, that they all saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. In the Scriptures, many times, fire represents the presence of holy God. There was the, the, the burning bush for Moses, uh, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, the consuming fire at Mount Sinai, the, the hovering fire over the tabernacle in the wilderness. I want to read to you a verse from Luke chapter 3. It's Luke 3.16. In that passage, the people were wondering if John the Baptist might just be the one who was to come, the promised Messiah. This is how John answered them. He said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Isn't this what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 2? 
The day of Pentecost fulfills what was spoken by John the Baptist some three years before. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the disciples of Jesus are being baptized with the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues of fire. And I want you to notice as well that these tongues of fire rested on each one of them individually. In the Old Testament, the presence of God rested on the nation of Israel as a whole. There were times when the Spirit of God would come upon someone individually to empower them for a specific purpose. But here in the New Covenant, we see the Holy Spirit of God come upon people individually. And that is the promise that Jesus had made to his disciples many times. If they only had ears to hear what he had had to say. In both John 14 and John 16, Jesus told his disciples that another one was coming. And he called him the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who would teach them all things and remind them of everything that he had taught them. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples that it was for their own good that he was going away because unless he left them, he said, the Counselor wouldn't come. But that if he left them, he would then send the Counselor to them. And Jesus told them that the Counselor, this Holy Spirit, would convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and in regard to righteousness and in regard to judgment. And he told them that when the Holy Spirit came, that he would guide them into all truth and would tell them what is yet to come. Jesus promised them that after he left, he would send them the Holy Spirit. And now here on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, we see Jesus fulfill his promise and send the Holy Spirit in tongues, in tongues of fire, in form of tongues of fire. We're told in verse 4 that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And what did they do? They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this verse, more than any other, has been used down through the ages to support the practice of speaking in tongues. With many denominations saying that if you don't speak in tongues, you aren't truly filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't want to get into a whole discussion today on speaking in tongues, and I don't think that we need to. Because if we look at the context of what is actually happening here, these disciples of Jesus begin speaking in other tongues, as it says, but these are all known languages of the different worshipers who had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. We're told that they were God-fearing Jews from every nation in Jerusalem, and they all came together in amazement because they each heard the disciples of Jesus speaking to them in their own language. This wasn't some heavenly language of the angels or some personal prayer language that some people say speaking in tongues is. The disciples were enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak in all of these different languages so the people who were assembled there could hear them and understand them. And what did these people say when they heard this? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. And the disciples weren't doing this to try and draw attention to themselves or to somehow glorify themselves. No, they were declaring the glory of God 
And they were doing it in languages that none of them had ever spoken before. This is the miracle of Pentecost. Not just people, people speaking in tongues, but men speaking other known languages in order to bring honor and glory to God. And Luke lists 15 different countries or regions here that are represented. Is there a significance to this? I think there is. In Genesis chapter 11, we have that passage, that whole passage about the Tower of Babel. And in that passage, it talks about the people, people who all speak the same language, coming together and taking on a project together to try and and build a tower up to heaven, a tower to God. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. Mankind in his arrogance thought that he could build a tower to the heavens, and it was to make a name for himself, not to bring honor and glory to God. So we're told in that passage that God came down to look at their tower. I find it kind of amusing that although they thought they could build a tower to reach up to God, God had to come down just to see their tower. I think that this is really a play on words here to show us how much higher God is above anything and everything that man might ever hope to accomplish on his own. So God confused their language so they couldn't communicate with each other and they ended up scattered over the whole earth, the very thing they didn't want to happen. And they were scattered because of the confusion of their languages. Cities and nations were developed by people who found people who spoke the same language, and they came together and developed these cities because they could communicate together. But they were speaking a different language than the cities and communities around them. God confused the language of the men at Babel, which resulted in the separation of nations. But here on the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit brings the nations together again as each man understands the message of the gospel in his own language. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty amazing thing that God did. But there were some there that day who didn't think it was amazing at all. No, they looked at the disciples and made fun of them, saying that they had just had too much to drink. They looked at the hearing of the different languages as evidence that the disciples were simply drunk. And apparently Peter must have heard some of these people speaking this way because he stood up among them and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd and he told them, look people, these men aren't drunk, it's only nine in the morning. And he explained this is what the prophet Joel was talking about when he said, and then he spelled out that prophecy from Joel chapter 2. And Joel had said, and afterward... The Lord said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then Joel added, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
The prophet Joel had seen this day coming long before it ever came to pass. God's Spirit had now been poured out, and we will now see the fulfillment of the prophecy as the word of the Lord will go out, and indeed everyone who calls on the name of the Lord then will be saved. And it was right after this that Peter launched into the very first sermon of the new Christian church right after being filled with God's Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. God's Holy Spirit directs Peter's words as he tells the crowd about Jesus Christ. And as he finishes up his sermon, the reaction of the crowd is amazing. Beginning in verse 37, God's Word tells us this. When the people heard this, talking about what Peter had just shared, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter told them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he said, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What you have just seen, you will receive as well if you repent of your sins and have faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And I think the implication here is that the Lord will call people through his Holy Spirit. This is what the day of Pentecost is all about. God sending his Holy Spirit into the world in a new and wonderful way to convict people of their sin and to draw them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I said earlier that without Pentecost, the church as we know it would not exist today. Without Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God would not be here with us. We would not have His power in our lives to live for Christ, to be His witnesses, to do anything for God. If we had been left on our own, the church probably never would have begun. And even if it did begin somehow, without God's Holy Spirit working in us and through us, I think it would have died out years ago. God's Holy Spirit living in us changes us. Take Peter for an example. Think about Peter. Just weeks ago, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus. One of those denials being made to the maid of the high priest. But after Pentecost, we're going to see Jesus in Acts chapter 4, this same Peter who was afraid to tell the maid of the high priest that he even knew Jesus, this same Peter now in Acts chapter 4 is proclaiming Jesus to the high priest himself. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does in the life of any believer. After Jesus had been arrested, the disciples scattered. After he had been crucified, the disciples hid, cowering in fear in a locked room. They didn't know what to expect. After Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them, there was definitely a change in them. They were happy that Jesus was alive, but they weren't empowered. They weren't unified in their faith or in their direction. It was only after the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost that they became unified in their mission and empowered to carry it out. And friends, the same can be said for us. 
without the Holy Spirit of God living in us and through us, we are not unified. We are not empowered to do what God has called us to do and to be who God has called us to be. This is why we need Pentecost. This is why we need to remember Pentecost. This is why we need to acknowledge the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives each and every day. He is a gift from God to us, to live within us, to guide us, to direct us, to convict us of our sin, and to draw us closer to the Father. He is the one who opens up God's Word for us and teaches it to us and shows us everything we need to know, as Jesus said. So may we always remember Pentecost, and may we always acknowledge the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son Jesus to save us from our sins, for sending your Spirit to show us our sin, to speak to us your truth, to guide and empower us to do your will and to live within us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.